0: All right, so we are all the way up to Genesis chapter 7, which means that we have just started the uh, story of Noah. If you missed us last time uh, sharing the story of Noah, where we kind of did the intro to it, then uh, I would encourage you to check out last week's message um, on our website, uh, where we have um, all of our uh, messages in there. um, And everything that we've done in Genesis to this point. So uh, tonight we are going to pick up in chapter seven. And I know, hold your breath with what I'm about to just say, I'm gonna try to get through four chapters tonight. So uh, we're gonna definitely be putting in some work. Um, Thank you, wifey for that face. Um, Appreciate it. Um, And (laughs) we're gonna just uh, motor on through this story, this amazing story of Noah. Um, so uh, let's just get started here. Uh, starting in verse seven, Well, I guess I should follow up. Last week in uh, chapter six, uh, we, we got to the point where Noah built the ark and the rains started to, you know, started to look a little rainy outside, so to speak. And so um, now we're going to get to the actual story. So first one, then Lord said to Noah, come into the ark, you and all your household, because I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. You shall take with you seven each of every clean animal, a male and his female, two each of of animals that are unclean, a male and his female. Also seven each of birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. For after seven more days, I will cause it to rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights, and I will destroy the face of the earth and all living things that I have made. And Noah did according to... All that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters were on the earth. So Noah and his sons, his wife and his son's wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and of everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two, they went into the ark to Noah, male and female. And God had commanded as God had commanded Noah. Uh, And it came to pass. After seven days, the waters of the flood were on the earth. Just a couple of things um, that I wanted to note here as we're as we're going through. Um, and that is God has commanded, and we talked a little bit about this last week. God has commanded the animals essentially to have a migration pattern. Migration patterns are nothing that's you new or unique to animals. We know that you know, simply birds fly south for the winter. That's a kind of normal normal migration pattern that we are aware of. And um, this was simply a migration pattern that God placed in some special animals to be able to um, carry out a very specific purpose that he had for them. Um, but one of the things that I think is, is sort of interesting and it's, it's illustrated for us in the book of Isaiah, chapter one, verse three, where it says, the ox knows its master and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know, my people do not consider, and it's the idea that, uh, you know, animals are much more willing to accept the will of God than sometimes people are, as we see in a very orderly fashion, all of these animals come to Noah and the ark for God's will. So the the flood starts, verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were opened and the rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons were, were with them and they entered the ark. Verse 14, they and every beast after its kind, all cattle after their kind, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind, and every bird after its kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark to Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which is breathed of life. So those that entered, male and female, of all flesh, went in. Here's the key. As God commanded him, and the Lord shut him in. And the Lord shut him in. This gives us this uh, really awesome picture when it says, and the Lord shut him in, that um, it was not Noah who closed the, the door, essentially, to the people on earth. Obviously, this, this horrible thing is happening where God is having to show his judgment on the world because of the sin that has just gone too rampant in the world. Um, And this is a horrible thing when you think on an individual level. But it's not Noah who's making the decision to sort of shut off the world to the ark to salvation, so to speak. It's God that's making that decision. And the lesson there is for us, the church, those of us who call ourselves Christians, we should never be the ones who shut off salvation to to anybody, any man, any mankind, uh, we should be the ones constantly, until God closes that door, we should be the ones offering the salvation that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That should never be our decision to shut the door on anybody. It always needs to be God that makes those huge, huge decisions. And so there's a great lesson there as we see this happening uh, with Noah. Okay, let's keep going. Uh, Verse 17. And now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up, lifted up the ark and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth and the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed 15 cubits upward and the mountains were covered and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man all in whose nostrils was the breath of the spirit of life. All that was on the dry land died. So he destroyed all living things, which were on the face of, of the ground, both man and cattle, creeping thing and bird of air. They were destroyed from the earth. Only Noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive and the waters prevailed on the earth. 150 days. There's, um, This this flood event, we talked a little bit about this last week, so I won't spend a a lot of time on it, especially because we want to continue on with more things to look at tonight. But um, I mentioned this last time, this flood event that is listed here in the Bible, we know as Noah and his ark is is listed in many different cultures. This is not just in Christian or Judeo-Christian cultures where we know of this flood event. Um, there are specific citations to a specific flood event from everything from the Samo Kubo tribe of New Guinea to the Papago Indians of Arizona, have traditions of a flood event in their history. The Hindus, the Chinese, the Egyptians, the Greeks, the Persians, people in Australia, the Welsh, the Celts, Druids, Siberians, Lithuanians. There are more than 200 cultures who have their own account of this flood event. And, you know, I like to sometimes throw out some of the data because it's always kind of fun to look at. We think of water covering the whole Earth and it seems impossible. It seems amazing. It seems like something. How could that possibly happen? Well, we know now, I mean, science tells us, satellites show us that two thirds of of the world is covered in water. And there's enough water on the earth. This, this estimation was done. I don't know how you can get to this data, but we'll cite it and we'll, we'll go with it for here, for this as a good example. There is enough water on the earth currently to be able to cover the entire Earth um, two to three miles um, in uh, two to three miles deep across the earth. They could cover there's enough water on the Earth to cover the entire earth, and it be two to three miles deep all the way across. Now, the topography of the earth, the fact that we have the mountain ranges and the, the way that it is, flows all of the water down into these ocean puddles. We'll call them puddles because obviously they're not puddles, but when you're thinking big like that, they can be puddles. But there's enough water to already do the thing, and so it kind of brings up aspects of earth before the flood possibly was more spherical. There wasn't the topography where there were these high elevations and low elevations. Maybe it was a little more spherical and that was the ability to have the waters on the earth in the first place. So um, just kind of fascinating when you start to think of what's there. All right, let's move on to uh, chapter eight. 150 days is how long it re- they were on the ark. That was the last, uh, last verse there. I want to just make sure we read that one more time. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. That's kind of a key thing as we look at chapter eight here. It says, then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him on the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep of the windows And the windows of heaven were also stopped and the rain from heaven was restrained and the waters receded continually from the earth. And at the end of the hundred and fifty days, the waters decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month on the mountain of Arat and the waters decreased continually until the 10th month in the 10th month on the first day of the month, the tops of the water were seen of the mountains, excuse me, were seen. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark, which he had made. Then he sent out a raven, which he kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. He also sent out from himself a dove to see if the water had receded from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot. And she returned to into the ark to him for the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days. And again, he sent the dove out of the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening. And behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days, sent out the dove, which did not return to him again. And it came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up on the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark. And looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. And in the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. And God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and and your wives' sons with you. Bring out with you every living thing of all flesh that is with you, birds and cattle and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, so that they may abound on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wives' sons, Wives with them, and his sons' wives with them, every animal, every creeping thing, every bird, and whatever creeps on the earth, according to their families, went out of the ark. A few years ago, um, I led a youth camp that was based off of this particular passage uh, uh, Genesis chapter 8, the first 19 verses. And we did it was a youth camp. It was full of a lot of youth that were a little bit on the older side, like they were, you know, sometimes you have youth, you have younger kids that are just kind of coming into being teenagers, and then you have other kids that are getting older and they're getting ready to graduate, they're starting to think about what's next in their lives. And that was the group that I had for the most part when we had this youth camp, and God really spoke to me through this passage we call it the doves and ravens retreat. And I'll just kind of share with you sort of the heart behind that. And I think there's a lesson that we can learn from that, whether we're young people that are getting ready to start our next aspect of our lives, or anytime you're in a situation, you know, hey, Freedom Church is in a situation where we are starting back up we're just trying to make sure that we're ready to go to start back up to what we know God has called us to do. so there's some wisdom that we can gain from this but the idea behind it was um, it was called doves and ravens and it was based off of these two birds that Noah sent out of the ark. The scripture that we just read said that the raven it went to and fro until it found some land um, and we don't know what happened to the raven. <laughs> we could there's a chance that the raven crashed and burned. And the Raven sort of symbolizes the idea of people who, you know, in this situation, you have a group of people in Noah and his, his sons, his wife, his sons, their sons, his wives. You can ex- probably his grandchildren at this point as well, although they're not listed here. Um, you can think that these people have been cooped up 150 days, 40 straight days of rain, rocking boat. They've been waiting and they've stopped. And now it's even been a couple of weeks since they stopped and they still haven't left this ark. It's this idea of they've been in the ark for so long, but they are so ready to leave the ark in the same way that young people, when they get to an age, 17, 18, 19 years old, they are ready to get out on their own. They, they feel like they've been cooped up in this ark for well over 150 days. And it just feels like they can't wait any longer, but you could either be a dove or you can be a raven, where a raven just sort of breaks through, and it goes to and fro, and it's going to make its way. And we don't know what happened to the raven. The raven may have crashed and burned because he got exhausted, because he just forced his way out, not even waiting. Or you can be like the dove, where the scripture tells us that the dove went out, looked for a place to stop. There was no place, so he came back. And he waited another couple of days. And then he went out again, and then finally found an olive branch that he brought back to to, to Noah as a signal that there were places to rest. And that was the sign where it was like, okay, but even then Noah waits an additional few days before he pops it open, sees the dry land, and they make their way out. So it's the idea behind, um, you know, forcing your way into a situation, not be having the wisdom to search for the signs that God can give you that now is the time to do it i know waiting sucks it does waiting sucks especially when you know god's put something on your heart where it's like we want to do this but we have to be uh wise in the idea of looking for the signals that god gave because you know what the best portion of the scripture is is verse one when it says god remembered noah god had a purpose and a plan for noah god has a purpose and a plan for you god has a purpose and a plan for freedom church He's not going anywhere. That purpose and that plan has not changed. We just have to be ready and willing to stay with God's timing on it and make sure that we're doing it in the way that he would want us to do. All right. We're already on to uh, verse 20. Then Noah built an altar. The first thing Noah does is builds an altar to the Lord when he gets off of that ark. He builds an altar to the Lord and took up every clean animal and every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And the Lord smelled a soothing aroma. Then the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground for man's sake. Although the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth, nor will I destroy every living thing as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer and day and night shall not cease. Um, you think about this. This is quite a sacrifice that Noah is making here um not, there's not very many animals around at this point and Noah is taking a significant percentage of them and he's sacrificing them to the Lord and the idea here is that our sacrifices that we make for God they have to actually mean something or they're not a, they're not an actual sacrifice when we give to the Lord our time our talents our treasures Um, we, it does have to cost us something. And, and when it's, when it says that God smelled a sweet aroma, it's not that God was like all about, you know, God loves some chicken. He loves to smell the chicken in the air. That's not, God wasn't hungry on that day, but the sweet smelling aroma was, Hey, I just went from my people, my creation, people who were cursing me down and so infected with this sin virus that would, that happened through Adam and Eve that they couldn't even recognize that I was their God and I was their father and I was their creator. And now, now this sweet smelling aroma is that Noah sees me as that he is giving me his all his best. He is recognizing who I am and my love for him. And that is a sweet smelling aroma to God. And that's what he's, that's what he's looking for there. Oh, at yeah, that! Two chapters down already. You guys, you guys uh, uh, were, didn't think I was going to be able to do this, did you? Did you? You can be, you can, you can say, I know, I know. So God blessed Noah, verse one of chapter nine. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the air, on all that move on the earth, and on all the fish of the sea, they give it into your hands every moving thing here's the key verse three every moving thing that lives shall be food for you I have given you. This is really interesting to think about because this sort of gives you the idea that in a pre-flood world, which we've been talking about over the last few few uh, few weeks, months so or so so far um, that men didn't eat animals. Um, you know, in the garden of Eden, we know that God gave of every plant and of every tree that they were able to eat off of, but it's not until here where God gives permission to eat the animals. And that idea of that, the fear of you and the dread of you shall be on every beast of the earth. So it's this idea that like there, there was time where animals just sort of weren't afraid of humans because there was no, you know, uh, opportunity that they felt threatened that they were going to get eaten. And that this is sort of where that starts the, the sort of Genesis, so to speak of that, uh, of that so it's kind of interesting to think that uh you, you start to think that it's more like cinderella like the birds were like helping people get dressed and they weren't there was no fear of the uh of mankind in any way so uh just sort of interesting to think about verse four um you shall not eat flesh with its life that is in the blood surely your lifeblood i will demand a reckoning for the hand of every beast i will require it and from the hand of man for the hand of every man's brother i will require the life of man whoever sheds man's blood By man, his blood shall be shed for in the image of God. He made you and as as for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. Then God spoke to Noah and his sons with him, saying, and as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you and the birds and the cattle and every beast of the earth with you. Of all that go out of the ark, every beast of the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I make between you, me and you, and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations I set my rainbow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. It shall be when I bring a cloud over the earth that the rainbow shall be seen in the cloud, and I will remember my covenant, which is between me and you, and every creature of the flesh. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Uh I've just lost my place, I'm sorry. The rainbow shall be in the cloud, and I will look on it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. And God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant which I have established between me and all the flesh that is on the earth. So God is making a promise, nigh a covenant with mankind, that he will never flood the earth again. Isaiah talks about this in uh, um, Goes on in that um, in chapter fifty four of the book of Isaiah in verse nine he says when he's talking about the covenant and God's promise God promised I'll never flood the earth again and he has kept that promise and in the same way he keeps another promise in verse nine of Isaiah fifty four it says for this is like the waters of Noah to me for as I have sworn that the waters of Noah would no longer cover the earth so I have I sworn. That I would not be angry with you, nor rebuke you, for the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed. Says the Lord, who has mercy on you. What what what? What he's saying there in the book of Isaiah is that in the same way that I promised I'd never flood the earth, the promise that I gave to Abraham way a long time ago. The promise that still means today that was ultimately the promise that was ultimately fulfilled to Abraham uh, in the coming of Jesus Christ, that there is peace in salvation through Jesus Christ, that I will give mankind peace with God through Jesus Christ. I'm promising that as well. And ultimately, Jesus came and fulfilled that. And our faith in him can still give us that peace. There is promise of our eternity In the same way that God promised no more flood, he promises eternal life through Jesus Christ, even when we leave this earth, which is really, really, really cool. All right. A couple more scriptures here. Verse 18, uh, family dynamics. We finally get into the family dynamics here, which is always the juicy part, right? And Noah began, uh, and now the sons of Noah who went out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham... Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the whole earth was populated. And Noah began to be a farmer, and he planted a vineyard. Then he drank of the wine and was drunk and became uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders, and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned away, and they did not see their, their father's nakedness. Verse 24. So Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to him. Then he said, Cursed be Canaan and servants, a servant of servants. He shall be to his brethren. He said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. And God enlarge Japheth, and may, may he dwell in, sh- in tents of Shem, and may Canaan be his servant. So Noah lived on after the flood 350 years. So all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. All right. Couple of things about this particular portion of scripture, which is always a one that is many people find very interesting. Why does, you know, is the one that's in the wrong. He's the one that gets drunk. He's the one that allows himself to succumb to um, worldly satisfactions by getting drunk. Why does he go so far as to curse his son Through his grandson, because remember, it's Ham that sees him and it's Ham's son, Canaan, who gets the curse. And so why does Noah react in this way? Well, there are some thoughts on it. I, I don't know the actual answer to it. I don't think anybody does. But having done some research, there are really two prevailing thoughts as to what makes Noah react this way. One is a little more PG than the other. So I'll start with the first one. It's a little more PG than the, than the other. The first one is, is that the original Hebrew text, when it says of Ham, when Ham says in verse 23, that he saw the nakedness of his father and told his brothers outside. The idea, uh, the, the, the verbiage told his brothers is actually a, a more of a phrase of told with delight. In the sense that he sort of did it in a haughty way, that he was making fun of his father. That he was looking down on his father for falling um, and succumbing to, um, you know, a sin, a a worldful lust of alcohol. Um, It does speak to the dangers of being, you know, prideful and and condemning our brothers. uh, In this case, his own father, but his brother in Christ, so to speak, um, to falling to sin. Um, There's another Thought amongst bible scholars that some of the verbiage in the original hebrew when it says that noah became uncovered and when it says that ham saw the nakedness of his father it goes towards the idea of unnatural sexual relations that happened here that ham may have done something very inappropriate to noah It also speaks to the idea when it says that Noah woke up from his wine and knew not that his brothers had, not that Shem and Japheth had said anything to him, but Noah knew that something had been done to him. And the idea here is that Ham may have done something, something very inappropriate to his father while he was in a drunken state. And so. When you think of it in those types of terms, now you start to understand the curse that, that Noah puts on his grandson. But again, I don't know all the answers. All I know is that Noah found himself in a place that he shouldn't have been, and his, his son found himself in another place that he shouldn't have been. And as a result, many generations have had to deal um, with those reper- repercussions. All right. Um, chapter 10. Guess what? We're not going to read chapter 10 because you know why you guys are going to make fun of me because I can't say all those names. Look ahead at chapter 10. I, I can't say all those names. It's impossible. You'll just make fun of me. What I want to tell you about chapter 10 as a couple of notes, and I would encourage you to spend some time studying chapter 10, find a good lexicon, find a good concordance and kind of look through chapter 10 and some of the names, because chapter 10 is is meant to give us the forefathers of many of the original ancient civilizations that we know today. So uh, when you look at, essentially, chapter 10 looks at Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and it looks at their sons, and when you start to look at the cultural histories of each of these names, you start to find most of the cultures, most of the ancient cultures that we know today. Japheth's ancestors stretched from in, from what we know in present day India all the way across Western Europe. Uh, Ham's uh, ancestors stretched from uh, sort of northern Africa to the far east in the area that we know today as currently Israel. Um, and then Shem's ancestors are the Persians, the Assyrians, everybody in Asia Minor. So Um, As you look through all the different names that are listed in chapter 10, you can really start to find those things, um, you know, in terms of how the world starts to spread out in this point um, through the descendants of Noah um, again, and, and the world starts to repopulate. And there we are. We went 30 minutes. We got through four chapters. That is the most efficient we have been. But what an amazing story on the book of Noah. Uh, a story uh, where faithfulness just comes to the the forefront over and over and over again. A man who had never seen rain in his life had to make a boat that he had never been on in his life to to prepare for something that was unheard of and still today would never happen again. But he had the faithfulness to be able to do it. And it's just really an amazing thing to, to sort of hold on to for us as well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, we thank you. We praise you that you are a good God and that you remembered Noah. Father, maybe my favorite takeaway from this this entire uh, lesson in the book of Noah is what happens on that ark. There's so many times in lives where, where we get excited about what's next, what's next, what's next. And it's so, so important to wait for your timing, Father to look for your wisdom, to seek your understanding, to seek your peace about decisions in our lives. And we see a great example of that and how Noah waited and waited and waited until he knew it was time to start this amazing thing. And this amazing thing, not opening up a new shop, not even starting a new church, but starting mankind again. Can you imagine how excited he was to do that father. And so I I ask that you help us to give that same, that same type of wisdom father, and all the decisions that we make in our lives, Lord, we praise you. We thank you for this opportunity in Jesus name. Amen. All right. We will see you next week as we jump into the tower of Babel. Um, and start to move through here into Abram's story, Abraham's story. And don't forget this coming Sunday at Jasinski Elementary at 10.30 a.m. We will have our third service back after 18 months of no in-person services. We will be back. Live worship, message, kids program. We're so excited. We can't wait to see you. We hope you can make it out 10.30 a.m. on Sunday. Everybody have a great night. We'll see you soon.